The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, and here is your top five at five. Going out on a limb, a bold call from Bank of America on the Fed and maybe your money. Bubbling back up a bit, Bitcoin ticking higher once again as the crypto coaster breaks $40,000. Cranking it up to 10, the wild ride for shares of Peloton showing no signs of slowing down reports of a possible bidding war. On the defensive, Spotify once again finding itself in a Rogan-sparked controversy. The CEO is telling staff and customers about his plan. And a new warning to Russia from the White House and why some fear an invasion of Ukraine could be just days away. It is Monday, February 7th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. Good Monday morning. I am Brian Sullivan. All right, let's get right to it and get a check on your money to begin the week in stock futures. Well, they're not giving us a whole lot of help, but maybe we should find some comfort in that. They are not down big like so many other Mondays we have had. They are down, but very, very small, about one-tenth of one percent. Of course, the setup today is that the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, and the Russell 2000 all coming off their best weeks of the year. They all had big weeks last year. Still down for the year, but some momentum last week not carrying over to right now. But it's early and that can change. All right. Still focusing squarely on Meta, of course, the company formerly known as Facebook. That is coming off its worst week ever. The stock got crushed and it dragged down a whole bunch of other stocks with it as well. And it is not rebounding on this Monday morning. On the other side of Meta, is Amazon. Amazon, last week, coming off its best day since 2015. Some big numbers there, rising the price of Prime, and nobody seemed to care, except for investors who bid the stock higher. All right, outside of stocks, a 10-year yield is trading at its highest level since January 2020, so look for borrowing costs and mortgage rates to tick up. Oil also ticking up. Not right now, but it was over 92 Last night, this morning, it is below that mark, but still kind of creeping up, you know, 20, 30 cents almost every day. Right now, we're at 91.17, but again, it was 92 and change last night. And in crypto this morning, after a weekend surge, we are seeing Bitcoin back above $40,000. That is actually the first time that has happened in about two weeks. All right, that's here. Let's get a check down how things are doing around the world to kick off their week. Rosanna Lockwood is in London with that and more headlines. Rosanna, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Happy Monday. And yeah, the FTSE 100 here in Europe is doing pretty well in London this morning, up by around a quarter of a percent, seeing a lot of movement above and below the flat line for the rest of the European bourses, though. The Kakahont now below the flat line was up early in trade, and the DAX in Germany just up a bit. Uh, but the FTSE MIB in Italy, that is the laggard for this session, down by around a percent. We're seeing quite a large sell-off in equities as we see a spike in yields across the Eurozone this morning. I'll get back to the yield story. Just want to break down some sectors for you though here in the equities because basic resources are up by around a percent 
Keep an eye on this. Uh, we had aluminium prices shooting up 3% out of China. Also, Ukraine and Russia will play heavily into this. Analysts saying that China could be looking to Russia to source aluminium. You're seeing miners rising here in London, players like Rio Tinto. So do keep an eye on that in today's session. But as I mentioned, yields. Now, that is something to watch. You were talking there about the U.S. 10-year. Well, here it's the two-year. The Italian two-year uh, yield, it's up the highest point since June 2020 in the session so far this morning. And the German two-year is up highest since September 2015, Brian. All right, Rosanna, thank you very much. All right, back here at home, the team at Bank of America, led by Savita Subramanian, out with a note over the weekend defending their call for seven, that's right, seven Federal Reserve rate hikes this year and a year in S&P 500 target of just 4,600. From the note, quote, U.S. consumers and companies are sitting with a record $19 trillion in cash, a 35% jump from 2019. Adding the unsustainable leverage, though, that we saw during the financial crisis is non-existent. Banks are better capitalized than ever, and the upshot rising rates may not hurt for a while. Bank of America adds that if there is one thing the financial crisis taught us, it was about the risks of leverage, noting that corporate debt levels are more locked into long-dated debt rather than floating-rated debt, at very low rates versus before the financial crisis, which is kind of how we got there. Joining us now is Palisades Capital Management CIO and our friend Dan Veru. Dan, good morning. I know you got your own views on the market, but I'd like to comment. You think we'll get seven rate hikes this year? I mean, anything's possible, Brian. I think the big variable is how much of the inflationary pressures are transitory and how much are sticky. There's no doubt that much more of it's going to be sticky than we originally anticipated. But as we normalize supply chains, as the workforce gets fully back to work, what does that really mean for closing some of these disruptions? That's what we've, we've seen that in uh, the earnings season this year. You know, the companies that have struggled have had some supply chain issues and passing uh, uh, input costs through to yeah. customers. So with regards to those interest rate those interest rate increases, I think that that's probably a worst case scenario from the standpoint of how many rate increases. But remember, Brian, real interest rates are still negative because of these inflationary pressures. So I think that's a very reasonable opinion to have that just that would just get you back to positive real rates of uh, uh, real real rates on interest rates. Yeah, nearly every commodity that we track is actually higher this year. Energy is higher this year, so it doesn't appear, Dan, that inflation is getting any better. In fact, it could get worse in the short term. Still, they've got a 4,600 target, which means that they're still calling for a little bit of gain in the market. I know you, though, are a stock picker, and you've said that, and you've been on the market saying, listen, just buying the market is the old school way to do things. That worked for a while. Bank of America would agree it doesn't appear that's going to work for this year how deep do you got to get in the weeds and just get back to plain old-fashioned stock picking once again? You know, I think if you start with some uh, uh, simple ways, first of all, this is not the time to own unprofitable companies. Uh, you know, think of an unprofitable company like a bond, like a long-dated bond. The duration risk where that sensitivity to higher interest rates is quite high. So you want to stay, and, and functionally a highly profitable company is essentially a short duration bond, looking at it from that perspective. 
you want to stay close to the economic cycle because the reason why the Federal Reserve can do all this is there's underlying strength in the economy as a result of those inflationary pressures. Uh, you want to focus on companies that are self-funding and generating a lot of free cash flow. For us, a key metric is looking for companies that generate in excess of 100% free cash flow to net income. And of course, you know, if your balance sheet is solid, you know, those companies will be able to take advantage of any dislocations that occur in the marketplace over the course of the year. Uh, and, you know, while we don't focus necessarily on dividend yield, we do focus on dividend growth. And companies that can grow their dividends, I think, are going to be well, regard, regard, uh, well, well regarded this year and will do well. But it is a stock picker's market. Yeah. Uh, I think that it, you know, perhaps the biggest cap companies within the S&P 500 are likely going to be more range bound. But, you know, that that gives you a lot of opportunity when you look uh, look to the companies, uh, you know, there's 500 companies. And we really only talk about the top. Yeah. 25 to 50 companies. There's a lot of really good companies uh, to look at there that are more reasonably valued. And that's another, that's my last well, point too. Don't overpay for anything. Well, we, we've tried to do that, Dan, to get out of talking about the same 20 names all the time. And you've brought to us Centene in the past. Is that a name you, you still like before we let you go? Still do. Uh, pricing uh, within the, uh, uh, within the, uh, 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 the uh, the managed care area looks very good this year. CMS came out with their their pricing targets. Stock is continues to be very reasonably valued here. Uh, there were some takeover talks with Cigna. We kind of discount that. It's be very difficult to do any kind of very very large uh, M and A transactions. But we don't need that with the company trading at the valuation that it is right now. See, there you go. We got. Uh, we didn't talk about the top twenty. We talked about twenty plus one. We got, you know, what four hundred and seventy nine left to go. But we'll save that for another thing. Our upcoming pro talks on March second. Right. Look forward to it, Dan Vru. Thank you. Same here. Great. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. By the way, going to get a lot of that with Dan on March second. All right. Let's get down to some of this morning's other top headlines outside of the world of money and business. After two years, Australia finally says it will reopen its borders but only to vaccinated travelers this month. A move effectively puts an end to the country's main component of COVID-19 restrictions. One, it is attributed to relatively low death and infection rates, although their infection rate right now is very high. The reopening takes effect on February 21st. Delta is asking the U.S. Department of Justice to put convicted unruly travelers on a national no-fly list. CEO Ed Bastian says the request is part of his airline's latest efforts to deter aggressive behavior on flights that have all surged since the beginning of the pandemic. The FAA declared a zero-tolerance policy for unruly travelers last year and logged a record 5,981 cases of unruly behavior, 72% related to disputes over mask compliance. No doubt booze was a part of that in many of those as well. And a U.S. judge has rejected former former executive Martin Shkreli's objection to being banned for life from the drug industry and having to repay $64.5 million after jacking up the price of a life-saving drug. Shkreli's lawyers argued that the ban was overbroad and violated his rights to free speech. Claims the judge denied. Shkreli is serving a seven-year prison sentence in an unrelated security fraud case. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, why Spotify CEO Daniel Ek is stuck between a Rogan 
and a hard place. Latest controversy facing Spotify coming up. Plus, another Peloton scoop that has that stock surging in the pre-market. The wild ride looking far from over. We'll show you the numbers, maybe some of the names. Wex returns right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome or welcome back. Uh, New developments this morning for Spotify. Its CEO and its podcasting star, Joe Rogan. Bertha Coombs is here with that. Bertha, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Spotify and its CEO, Daniel Eck, responding to the latest controversy around the Joe Rogan experience over the weekend. The company confirming it has removed dozens of episodes of the highly streamed podcast in response to a supercut style video documenting the many times Rogan used a racial slur on his show. In a memo to staff seen by numerous news outlets addressing Rogan's use of the N-word and the removal of the episodes, X said, quote, not only are some of Joe Rogan's comments incredibly hurtful, I want to make clear that they do not represent the values of the company. Eck adding, he does not believe silencing Rogan is the answer, but that, quote, we should have clear lines around content and take action when they are crossed, but canceling voices is a slippery slope. Those comments echoing what Eck told CNBC last week. I think the big balancing act that we're trying to do uh, as a company that's just critical is balancing creative expression with, of course, the one about the safety of our users. And that's also why we uh, published this weekend our policies and uh, really for the first time did that. And that's probably on our half something we should have done earlier, and that's on me. Uh, But we have them out there now so that everyone can look at these policies and understand what goes on our platform. Rogan also issuing an apology on Instagram over the weekend, calling the issue, quote, one of the most regretful and shameful things he's ever had to talk about. Brian, shares of Spotify, yeah, looks like they're a bit lower again this morning, but coming off a very wild week and uh, more than 9% gain on Friday. This one's not going to go away anytime soon, I don't think. No, I was actually just going to say it doesn't sound like one of these stories that we're just going to stop talking about tomorrow. Um, Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. We'll see you in a bit. All right, still on deck. Is Peloton a takeover target? The stock is booming right now and coming up. New details on just who or how many 
may be buyers or want to buy it. The list is growing and the stock is surging. Today's big number, 7.8 million. That's how many full-time workers called out sick in January. A new record according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That's more than 50% higher than the previous record from 2000. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back. Shares of Peloton are absolutely surging right now. It's on reports that the company could get bought out. person familiar with the matter telling CNBC, Company Me is not running a formal sales process, but of course that doesn't mean that a bidder or bidders won't come in and bid for the company. Stock's up 23%. It all comes as Peloton is facing a lot of pressure from all sides. That stock has collapsed in the past year. Let us bring in Lauren Thomas, real estate and retail reporter for CNBC.com, breaking news of the company. Lauren, welcome. It's a big story. What companies may be seriously taking a look at buying Peloton? Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. Absolutely. It's uh, the sharks are circling, right, because they sniff uh, blood in the water when it comes to Peloton. You you look at Peloton's market cap and and just how it's really collapsed over the past year. Right. And and I think that that's that's the reason that we're really having this conversation today. Um, So, of course, reports, like you said, um, really, as of late Friday, have have trickled out into over the weekend that Amazon and Nike uh, could be two potential suitors for the business. Now, I think in part, this really isn't a huge surprise, right? Because uh, an activist group came out about a week ago and and issued a letter to Peloton's board actually calling for the company to consider a sale. And Blackwell's Capital in this note uh, to Peloton's board named some of these companies, Nike, Google, Disney, Sony, uh, again, as potential acquisition um, acquisition targets for, for Peloton. Um, again, you look at Peloton's market cap yeah. as of Friday, that was about $8 billion. Uh, about a year ago, we were talking $50 billion, right? So again, just to see how that's yeah. how that's fallen over the course of the year. And, and as you mentioned, uh, just here recently, we've seen more bad news really trickle out for the company. Um, again, they report earnings tomorrow. John Foley, the CEO, has not responded yet publicly to that activist letter. Um, I think all ears are really going to be tuned into this conference call after those earnings numbers uh, come out after the bell tomorrow uh, to see how they address the situation. Well, let's see if there's any earnings in those earnings, Lauren, if you know what I mean, as opposed to just continued losses. Right. Uh, What exactly would a buyer be getting? (laughs) You know, it's an exercise bike 
company. I know they're going to be insulted probably that I called them that because they want to be data <laughs> and lifestyle and fitness. You're getting a bike maker, you're getting sure. a subscription service, and you're getting a treadmill. What's appealing about that? Right, right. Yeah, well, you look at some of these names. So Google, right, which which just actually uh, completed its acquisition of Fitbit. You, you've seen their ambitions in health, just as one one example. Apple, of course, has its own fitness product. So you know, it's it's been uh, deepening its its ties in that space. Amazon, Nike. I mean, all of these companies, I think, are looking at the health and wellness industry as a growing industry coming out of COVID. One of the growing industries coming out of the pandemic, um, and, and you know, they want to have a, a stake in in this space, and many of them already do, right? So, in some instances, it could just be a way for them to further their strength here. Um, at the same time, you know, I've seen a number of, of analyst notes come out over the weekend and even just this morning kind of arguing for why this wouldn't make sense. Right now, Peloton has a huge manufacturing business. Um, it's, it's not just the subscription product that you're getting and it's, it's not just the existing customer base. So it's really this question of would these companies want to take on such a massive manufacturing yeah. and, and production business selling this, you know, equipment. Right. Um, that might not mess necessarily make sense for, for some of these players. I mean, Nike, for example, they were one of the, the companies that's being floated um, as a potential suitor that, that might be interested. Nike really hasn't gone into the hardware space. At one point, it had a, uh, a fitness tracker. I think eventually it stopped selling that, yeah. right? Um, it does uh, connect to the Apple Watch, but so far we haven't really seen them uh, make such a big bet on that space. So certainly a question to be raised. We'll see what happens. Like you said, tomorrow you got the earnings, or I should say results, because we'll see if there's actually any earnings in right, those results. earnings. Lauren Thomas, breaking, yeah, breaking news on Peloton. Stock's up 23%. Lauren, thank you. Big story. All right. Meantime, let's get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines, including a huge anniversary for Queen Elizabeth and the latest on the trucker convoy in Canada. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with that and more. Francis, good morning. Hi, Brian. Good morning to you. Yeah, we start with Canada's capital that declared a state of emergency spurred by ongoing demonstrations against vaccine mandates. A convoy of truckers are leading the protests in Ottawa, which have paralyzed the city for over a week. Ottawa's mayor says the protests pose a, quote, serious danger and threat to the safety and security of residents. Over 60,000 homes in Tennessee are still in the dark this morning after Friday's massive winter storm. Crews worked through the weekend to try and restore power. Most of the outages are in the Memphis area. Officials expect to have 90% of power restored by later today. Queen Elizabeth is marking 70 years on the throne. The anniversary is known as the Platinum Jubilee. Although the Queen assumed the throne in February of 1952, official celebrations are scheduled around the time that she was coronated in June. There will be an extra national holiday along with other events across the U.K. throughout the year. Queen Elizabeth also knows she wants Camilla to be queen consort when Charles ascends to the throne. That stunning announcement over the weekend, Brian, as you can imagine, lots of controversy and backlash online, especially from Diana supporters. Either way, you've got a queen who's 95 years old and what a reign that is still ongoing. I think it's the longest reign by like 20 years. Like there's not even any other monarch close. I, mm -hmm. I got to probably use the Google to find exactly that. But truly remarkable. Congratulations to the queen. Francis, All thank right. you. Sure thing. 70 years as queen. Unbelievable. By the way, Charles has been 
Been holding for a while. All right, still on deck. Your morning RBI and some big and hopefully good news on COVID trends that you're only going to see and hear right here on Worldwide Exchange. Plus, Ford facing more production problems. And some assembly lines are now on pause. We'll tell you why. And just a gentle nudge, a reminder. If you haven't, you can follow our podcast. It's on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, some others. Stock futures slightly down, oil over 91. We're back after this. Can your money keep last week's momentum going or will it get january Futures flat or down as oil busts above 92 a barrel overnight. The Biden administration out with a warning over Ukraine saying an invasion by Russia may be imminent. European leaders racing to ease the mounting tension. And advertisers betting big on the Super Bowl with commercial spots selling out fast and hitting new records. It's all happening on this Monday, February 7th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Monday morning. It's about 5.30 here. If you're starting your day, thanks for joining us. Here's how your money and the markets look right now. And they are slightly down. It said pressure. Eh, we're seeing futures off maybe one-tenth. Of 1% Dow futures off less than 100 points, off 87 right now. So a little bit lower, but not much. Listen, either way, the markets had a pretty good week last week, right? The S&P, the NASDAQ, the Russell, all coming off their best week since, well, this year, really, since late December of last year. Still down on the year, but there was a lot of positive momentum last week. Doesn't look like it's going to carry through, but hey, it is early. The 10-year, by the way, in the bond market trading at its highest yield since before the pandemic, January of 2020. And we'll get more on oil in just one moment. All right. Right now, though, let's get some of this morning's other top headlines, including a lawmaker revealing a big buy on crypto. Bertha's back with that. Bertha. Mm -hmm. Brian, Senator Ted Cruz revealing that he recently bought Bitcoin, a Texas Republican making those disclosures as a part of a regulatory filing, saying he bought between fifteen and $50,000 worth of the cryptocurrency. At the time of his purchase, Bitcoin was trading between thirty-six dollars and $37,000 amid its sell-off. This morning, it's back above $42,000. This year's Super Bowl, meantime, proving to be popular with advertisers, according to NBC, which is broadcasting the championship matchup. Ads have sold out, with some 30-second spots selling for a record $7 million. NBC says there's been a growth in ads across the auto, tech, entertainment, travel, and health and wellness sectors. And a note from the Wall Street Journal, expect some huge spots from crypto players, FTX, Coinbase, and Crypto.com. And Ford confirming that it is cutting vehicle production of several of its key vehicles due to the ongoing global semiconductor shortage. The automaker hitting pause this week again on its Ford Bronco and Explorer SUVs, the F-150 and Ranger pickups, along with its Mustang Mach-E electric crossover. Brian, the uh, cuts come just after Ford significantly missed earnings expectations due to those supply chain issues. Boy, those things are just not as transitory as we would like. No, no. And higher demand is good. Higher demand that can't be met or is only met through much higher prices 
is also yeah. not good. It's 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 tough. A lot of these semiconductors that are being used in these cars, it's a totally different manufacturing technique, Bertha. It's all new. Well, most of these new cars are practically computers on wheels, really. I mean, they have cameras all over the place. They do all sorts of things. Yeah, except fully self-drive. But I guess we're getting there. Bertha, thank you. Some humans could also work on the whole driving thing. Bertha, thanks. All right, now to the latest, the mounting tension between the United States, Europe, and Russia over Ukraine. The Biden administration warning over the weekend that a Russian invasion of Ukraine could be imminent. Stress on could. Those comments from National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. This coming after two other U.S. officials said that Russia has about 70 percent of the forces required for an invasion in place near the Ukrainian border. In the meantime, President Biden speaking with French President Emmanuel Macron yesterday on, quote, diplomatic and deterrence efforts to that military buildup. Macron will head to Moscow today for talks with Putin, all in a bid to try to de-escalate the situation. Ahead of that, the Kremlin a short time ago this morning putting out a statement saying the situation is too complex to expect any decisive breakthroughs from one meeting. Meantime, back here in the United States, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz arriving at the White House today as he faces questions over Germany's economic ties to Russia and no doubt the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. This morning, Financial Times reporting that the European Union is looking at ways to protect the European bloc from surging gas prices, potential migrant crisis and cybersecurity threats, all if Russia does invade. For more, let's bring in Max Seddon. He is Moscow bureau chief for the Financial Times that joins us now. Max, good morning. Excellent reporting as always. Where do we stand right now? Well, Macron is the latest Western official who's who's trying to get some sort of uh, take from Putin on on the, the U.S. and EU response to Russia's security demands. There is this divide whereby uh, the, the the U.S. and EU are trying to engage with Russia while also not giving ground on Russia's core demands to roll back NATO and to make sure that Ukraine never joins NATO, which they've said is is unacceptable. So Macron yesterday, he gave this interview where he said that this isn't really about Ukraine, this is about Russia's security concerns, and he's trying to uh, uh, feel some sort of common ground with, with Putin, uh, playing playing good cop almost, if, if you will. So that's um, uh, where we are today, but it doesn't look like that, that there's going to be any kind of breakthrough. Uh, the Kremlin the Kremlin said today that uh, they, they don't feel like the West is really adequately uh, responding to what it to what it wants and more and more troops and equipment keep yeah. arriving at the Ukrainian border. I was thinking about Russian history and the Olympics, Max, and this is going to sound interesting or maybe weird, but it is accurate. I don't know if there's anything to it or not, but I was in Sochi in 2014 covering the Olympics for NBC when Russia effectively invaded Crimea. Russia also went to war with Upper Ossetia, part of the country of Georgia, in 2008 during the Beijing Games then. Uh, bizarrely, uh, Vladimir Putin seems to have some kind of uh, tie with whether it's global news coverage perhaps is elsewhere or not, Max. We obviously have the Olympics on right now. Kind of a weird uh, bit of timing. I, I don't think that there's really too much you can read into that because you, if you compare what happened in, in Georgia and Ukraine with, with the Olympics there, uh, it's, it's, it's really two, two different things that, that Russia was doing. The, uh, uh, the 2008 Olympics were, were, were in the summer when, when Russia invaded 
invaded Georgia, and uh, they and that happened right at the beginning of the Olympics. Putin was actually in Beijing when 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 that happened. Uh, much much to the chagrin, reportedly of the Chinese. Whereas in in 2014, they were having the Olympics uh, in uh, Sochi, and yeah. um, uh, and then and then Russia didn't actually you know, start start sending uh, more more troops into Crimea until uh, right right after those those Olympics were were ended i think i think uh, Viktor yanukovych you know former president of, of ukraine he was at the opening ceremony in sochi and he waving a ukrainian flag i think he had no idea that he was going to be fleeing there in about two or three weeks i think what it does tell you you know if anything with these coincidences is that uh, there's a lot of opportunism to to the way that, that russia is 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 acting i don't think it's really to do with news coverage i think you know with macron's visit he called him three times in 10 days before this uh the west has made it very clear that it's uh, focused on this rather than the the olympics so i don't think uh, i think weather is going to be a stronger consideration yeah uh, and, and maybe not even that. Bring, really I, yeah I, well only bring it up because actually i was there when when putin was in sochi when some of this stuff started in crimea i just wonder if he's, he's using international media attention elsewhere although i think this would be much bigger max Talk to us about the importance of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Obviously, I talk a lot about energy here on CNBC, a senior national correspondent as well. Uh, this is a massive part of this entire situation, is it not? It looks like Germany is not going to play hardball because they need Russian gas. I'm not so sure. I think there's a certain expectation in, in, in Russia that they're, 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 the Kremlin almost seems to be coming to terms with the fact that Nord Stream 2 is going to be effectively mothballed. And but, but because of you know, Germany is coming around to the Allied stance on, on sanctions with, with, with this crisis, and the U.S. has made a lot of efforts to find alternative energy supplies for, for Europe in, in, in countries like uh, Qatar and Azerbaijan, maybe some American LNG could be redirected to, to Europe. From, from Russia's perspective, it doesn't really change very much because uh, uh, over the standoff over Nord Stream 2, which, uh, which predates this this current Ukraine crisis, uh, uh, Russia has has been supplying uh, uh, gas already uh, to to, um, uh, to Germany, and it's much less about Nord Stream two than it is about what happens to to the existing gas supplies, which uh, uh, Russia supplies forty one percent of yeah. uh, of the Union's gas, and that's very hard to replace overnight. Yeah, it very much is. And German policies, they've become more and more reliant on Russian gas over the years. And uh, it's gotten them into a tough spot. Max Seddon of the Financial Times did some good reporting there. Max, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to dive a little deeper into the Russia-Ukraine crisis and the potential energy fallout over this standoff and whether Vladimir Putin could weaponize oil and gas as part of all this. But some other headlines happening right now. Volkswagen says it does not expect the ongoing semiconductor shortage to end this year. A board member saying, though, the shortage could ease a little bit in the second half of 2022. The U.S. is calling on China to make good on commitments to buy $200 billion worth of American goods. It is all part of the previous trade deal struck with China. According to Reuters, officials say Washington is losing patience with Beijing, saying it had not shown any real signs of following through with that deal. And apparently there's big bucks in taking big risks because the new Jackass film is number one at the weekend box office. The Paramount Comedy, where they do physical stunts, pulling in more than $23 million. That top expectations. Ouch. We're back after this. 
All right, welcome back. Oil prices, they're at 91 now, but they rose above $92 a barrel overnight. In fact, they continue to march higher. Oil is now up seven weeks in a row. By the way, gasoline prices also on the rise. Oil now at more than seven-year highs. This is natural gas flows slowed down dramatically going into Europe from Russia, something we just talked about. But let's dive in a little bit more on how well the U.S. energy industry is prepared with to deal with this, as well as Europe, Leslie Byer is CEO of the Energy Workforce and Technology Council. Leslie, good to have you on. How much of all of what's going on with Ukraine right now do you believe ultimately does come down to leverage over energy? Morning, Brian. I think a lot of it does. Um, we see Europe already in a supply situation um, where they do not have as much as they normally did. Um, they're in the middle of winter. It's kind of the perfect time for Russia to play these games. And they're really in between a rock and a hard place. Um, and I think this really goes back to show you why you don't take your domestic energy options off the table. Um, Europe has certainly accelerated through energy transition and, and green energy movements. And now they're really finding themselves in a tough place. Yeah, it is. And for years, of course, there was a lot of political infighting in Germany. Too much to go into now, Leslie. But the point is they pulled nuclear off. They pulled coal off. Renewables have been growing extensively, but you need them to work all the time. And right now it does appear that Germany needs more than 35 percent of its natural gas flows coming from Russia. And so Russia has incredible leverage over Germany. They could literally try to freeze the country out in the middle of winter. What kind of a lesson? Should that be to us and other parts of the world? The lesson to us is there is demand for fossil fuels, primarily natural gas all over the world. Demand is growing. Um, you know, they do get over 41 percent of their natural gas supplies from Russia. But the rest of, of our allies, the United States, Australia, Qatar, we can get LNG exports out. Um, but we can't do it that quickly. We certainly have seen um, this administration try to put things in play uh, for us to be able to help and, and potentially backstop um, some, this energy crisis in Europe. And we can. The United States has done that in the past in the example of Japan after Fukushima. Um, but it does not happen overnight. Uh, the energy ecosystem does not turn on a dime. And so we need more infrastructure in the United States. We need focus on domestic production to get yep. our natural gas out. Well, what's interesting, Leslie, and if you follow me on social media, and if you don't, no worries, but for the viewers who do, they know I've been kind of banging the drum on what is happening in New England, Massachusetts, Connecticut, etc. For the last four or five weeks, wholesale energy prices have been at a control high. I'm looking right now, they're at 232 a megawatt hour. They averaged $71 last February, and that was up 200% from the previous year. And they put out a note five days ago, Leslie, effectively saying that in times of severe weather, they may not have the fuel to generate power. This is in the United States, 100 miles away from the Marcellus Shale, the biggest natural gas field in the United States, if not the world. I bring this up to say there are some lessons that maybe we need to learn here as well. Is that true? That that is entirely true. Um, and we just have to be very cautious and take the lessons from what's happening in the rest of the world. We have so much 
here. We have those energy resources. We need to be able to protect our energy security in the U.S. I mean, California imports Russian oil as well, more in 21 than any other year before. There's no need for us to be doing that. We need to invest in infrastructure here. And when we approach energy transition, we need to look at it as a reduction of emissions, not a move away from the fuels that are affordable and versatile and certainly can be produced efficiently in the U.S. Right now in New England, 60% of the renewables is dung and wood. I didn't even know we used wood to make electricity, but apparently we still still are. Uh, not good for deforestation. Leslie Beyer, we appreciate your views this morning. Big energy story. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. All right, as we head to break, folks, you're very welcome. All right, as we head to break, during February, of course, we're celebrating Black History Month and featuring some of our CNBC friends, colleagues, contributors. And here is America's Reed, his advice for future leaders out there. My advice for future leaders is to be very careful in terms of diversity, inclusion, and equity. It has to be created, but it also has to be managed. So we have to understand how to put different perspectives into our decision-making, into our companies, our brands, our organizations. And those different perspectives, we have to cultivate and manage them appropriately so that we can create the type of organizations that can be successful. Time for your morning RBI. Today it is random, but hopefully hopeful about a serious topic, and that is the pandemic. Because there is a lot of new evidence that Omicron is burning out maybe just as fast as it stormed in. This is pretty remarkable. In the states that got hit hardest during the Omicron blitz, they're not only seeing cases crash, but also basically getting back to the levels before Omicron showed up. Here's the data for the New York Times over the past two weeks. Cases and hospitalizations have looked like this. In New York State, cases down 75% in two weeks. Outcomes, of course, as we know, more important than case counts. But they're down, too. Hospitalizations off 42%. New Jersey, down 73 and 48%. Ohio, Maryland, and Connecticut all look about the same. There are some other states as well with 70% drops in cases and nearly 50% drops in hospitalizations. So honestly, if I tell you 75% of the people out here in this area got COVID over the holidays, that's not TV hyperbole. The good news is that most states around the country look fairly similar, not to that extreme, but close. The average drop in cases around most states is about 50%, with a 57% drop overall nationwide, according to the Times, and thankfully 22% fewer people in the hospital. And that, of course, is the best news of all. Really bad outcomes are dropping off. According to NBC News analysis of hospital data, there are now eight states where the percentage of intensive care units taken by COVID patients is below 20%. And since we are here in the Garden State, I'll end with this. The lowest COVID ICU usage of all anywhere in America is right here in New Jersey at just 14%. And since New Jersey tends to rank number one in only things like the highest taxes or most people leaving, this is one, we're number one, that we should all be able to get behind because it's been a brutal two years. Stay safe, everybody. Random but interesting. All right, back now to the markets with both the S&P and the NASDAQ coming off a strong week, ending up 1.5%. They are still, of course, down for the year. And everybody says it's going to be a stock picker's market. So let's 
pick some stocks. David Katz, a CIO of Matrix Asset Advisors, and rejoins us now. David, it's great to have you back on, of course. Um, I love stock pickers markets because we get to talk about companies, uh, not ETFs, which are boring. Goldman Sachs, what makes them attractive to you? Goldman Sachs is making a boatload of money. They had a robust year last year. and We think they're going to earn a lot of money this year. The stock has sold up very significantly uh, in January, and we think that sets the stage for a much better year. You're buying it under 10 times earnings with a reasonable yield. We think this is a great place to put money. We like the financials this year. Uh, Goldman Sachs is one of the better ones for us. Printing a boatload of money. I'm sure some people in D.C. will be happy to hear that one. Medtronic is not a name that we talked about a lot in the last few years. We used to talk about it all the time. They kind of vanished off the radar, David. But maybe that's actually why you like it. It is. And they're still one of the top cardiovascular companies in the world. And the last spot feeds into our Medtronic recommendation. The stock has been weak and they probably are going to have a little bit light quarter because hospitalizations are up so much or were up so much. With Omicron, uh, we think as a result, they're going to have a lighter quarter. But as you said, hospitalizations from COVID are now dropping, which means that elective surgeries are going to be back uh, in place in the next three to six months. And you're getting it at about 18 times earnings. This is a very good growth company at value prices, and it's down because of COVID. And as COVID wanes this year, their stock's going to come back with a vengeance. Yeah, and you've got TMO as well. This is actually a COVID play in a weird way. So they make a lot of things, but I saw some of their freezers that kept the vaccines at negative 79 degrees. TMO, Thermo Fisher, another name that you like, David. So they make testing equipment, and that has been a real boon for the uh, earnings. Uh, their earnings were up very significantly last year, but they're also going to be very good this year. It's at about 25, 24 times earnings. This is a company that's growing at 15% or better. This year, we're looking for a barbell approach with some growth stocks and some value stocks. We like value better, but you're able to get some growth stocks at very good prices. Thermo Fisher is one of them. They just had a very, very good quarter, very good outlook. We love management. You're getting it at one of the more attractive prices that you had in some time. They still will do well as COVID testing drops. So this is one you know, great, great entry point. Yeah, and finally... Let's talk about Alphabet. I still got to call them Google, of course. I mean, you talk about printing boatloads of money, that quarterly number. I mean, break up another boat. It's a super tanker of cash, David. We think it is. And the stock is off this year, and that creates a good entry point. Uh, we think there are certain bank stocks that are doing exceptionally well, but the prices are very good. Uh, Google is one of them. They have a very good outlook. They are defying odds in terms of lots of industries and lots of sectors are slowing down. They are not, yet you're getting it at 20 times earnings. So great company, very attractive price. David, I think we may have just broken a record. We talked about four stocks in like three and a half minutes at 5.55 on a Monday morning. There's got to be some kind of Guinness record for that, don't you think? Love talking stocks. So this is, uh, you know, happy to do it. Yeah, we're going to do a pro talk to you, David. Again, I, I think we have to do that. By the way, maybe we need a Guinness after that. David Katz, Matrix Acid Advisors. David, have a great day. I'm kidding, folks. Although it is a breakfast beer. David, thank you very much. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I'll see you back here tomorrow. Squawk and the gang, a lot more to do. They're picking up the coverage next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. 
people today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.